morning, everyone. I'm excited to uh, be here this morning. Uh, This is week two of our four-week series titled By Design, where we're just looking at God's good and glorious design for both men and women. Uh, So I want to just quickly recap last week so we kind of have all this in context. Uh, So last week we spent most of our time in Genesis chapter 1 just talking about how man and women were created in the image of God. We, we, we went to Latin because that's kind of where our theology roots come from. Uh, and we called it the Imago Dei, the image of God, that everyone is created in the Imago Dei, that, that they're created with the image of God in them. And so that's why God said in, in Exodus to, to Moses not to create images of God because he already done that. He'd already created images of God. He already created people who would image his glory to the world uh, and so he didn't want anyone trying to do that again. So we, we spent most of our time talking about how both man and woman are the same, how they're equal. And we, we said it like this, they're equal in both dignity and worth, that they're equal in value and dignity. And so we t- spent most of our time talking about how they are the same. Uh, and so today we're going to kind of take that, that they're absolutely equal in dignity and value and we're going to start talking about how they're different. Because not only are they created equal, but they're also created distinctly. Both men and women are created distinctly different uh, in different ways. And we all know this. We all know this is true. Uh, if you have children, uh, specifically if you have children, one of each, you could just know this to be true. Uh, I have a five-year-old son named Eliam and a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Salome. Uh, and they're just, they're just vastly different. Eliam comes downstairs in the morning, and he wants, to just, he wants me to body slam him into my bed. Like, that's the kind of love, that's how he receives love. He wants me to just to take, pick him up and slam him down and, and hard, intense tickling and, and fighting, and he wants to, to hit into, into roughhouse. And that's how he receives love. My daughter, if we start getting too close to her, she goes, no, 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 I'm on your team. I'm on your team, daddy. Like, he, she doesn't want that at all. Like, she does not want to be body slammed in the bed. She doesn't want that hard, tickle, rough house fighting. What she wants is she brings babies downstairs, and she wants to wrap them up, and she wants me to hold them and, ra- and swaddle them and give them back to her and feed them and make sure I'm quiet around them, lest I wake these little plastic babies. Um, that's how they're just different. They're just created different. I don't want to go too overboard and too stereotypical. Like, I don't think... Is anything wrong with, you know, a son, a little boy having some sensitivity? My son is super sensitive. Um, he, he cries over just sad things, and I think that's fine. That's not a, a, a girly thing. Um, this year, he uh, started wanting to paint his toenails, so we're dealing through that. Um, but I don't think anything's wrong with that. I think he just likes color, and, you know, blue toenails are cooler than whatever color they are now, um, whatever that is. And so he wants to color his toenails. Uh, I had uh, John Williams always ask me this question. He's like, what, what would you do if your son wanted to play with Barbies? Like, what would you do? And I always answer, like, I don't think we're going to get there. Like, I just think I'm going to make some choices early on in life where he just doesn't want to play with Barbies. I was completely wrong because now that we have things like that in the house, I, you know, I walk around the house and all of a sudden I see Elium holding um, you know, Ariel, uh, like Barbie, uh, from Little Mermaid, because Salome has that. Uh, and, I, and I heard a pastor give the perfect response. This is, what, this is what I do. This is what you should do, is you just get down with your buddy. Hey, buddy, like, man, every man I know wants to play with naked women, but there is a righteous way to do that and an unrighteous way to do that. And this right here is absolutely unrighteous. And you just tell them, like, boys will do this and play with this, but men don't do that. And that's the answer. That's not really what I do, because then we'd have to pay for counseling, um, and it would be bad, but you just, you just knock it out of his hands. 
Um, no, the point is, is my, my daughter, she, she also has tomboy in her. She likes to climb up um, specifically these like bars that protect the windows back here. She likes to climb up those, and she likes to do things that would be considered more boyish by society. But overall, the way in which they receive love is different. The way they, in which they receive love from me is different. And, and, I, and I don't think it's just a thing you have to have kids for. Um, our culture knows this, too. On July 20th, 2012, at a Century movie theater, when they were playing The, the Dark Knight, uh, a guy who had lost his mind walked in with, with armor and, and, and dropped tear gas and started shooting people at random uh, in, in Aurora, Colorado. And there was three men that day who took their girlfriends, not wives, not moms, took their girlfriends to go to a movie theater to see The Dark Knight. And when this started happening, they threw their girlfriends down and they laid on top of them. And each three of those guys were shot and killed, but their girlfriends walked free. And they were, they were heralded as uh, heroes for what they did. Heroes for throwing their, their girlfriends down and laying on top of them so that, to protect them from this madman. Uh, that same year, about six months earlier, off the coast of Tuscany, uh, uh, a cruise ship capsized. It was the, the Costa Concordia capsized off the coast. And if, if you were to Google that, you'd probably remember, like, you'd see the image um, in, in, in January of 2012. Uh, and there's reports that men were pushing and shoving down uh, women and children to get off the boat faster and to, and to save themselves. I think 32 people died that day uh, on that cruise ship, and the captain was actually charged and convicted of, of leaving a capsizing ship. And so they were all seen as horrible people. Um, and, and, and because our culture understands there's a difference between men and women, just, we just understand that. No one, no feminist, no one was saying, hey, it's not fair. Those women should have had a chance to get shot. It's not fair that the men pushed them down and, put, and covered their bodies. No one said that because our culture no matter what our culture says, they understand there's a difference between men and women. No one said, hey, no, 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 men, men should be able to push down women and children to get off a capsized boat. That's totally fine because we're equal. Absolutely, we're equal, but we have distinct and different roles. And so our culture knows this. So today we're going to talk about the specific role of, um, of men. And I want to share this story. Randy Stinson, he's, he's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And, and he teaches his little boys. He's got just like one kid sh shy of a TLC show. But he has like a bunch of boys and daughters. And he teaches his boys. He's, he's, he tells them about his daughters and women in general. He says, the boy goes down so the girl can go free. Say it back to me. To his kids, he says, say it back to me. The boy goes down so that the girl can go free. And he tells this story where he's sitting in his office working on some things for school. And he, he's, he's watching, he's got this hill outside his office, and all of a sudden he sees his son in like one of those red rider wagons just going down this hill, just flying down this hill. And he knew when he saw this started, he's like, I, we're going to the hospital. Like, this is going to end badly. And so he goes up to the window to look, to try and watch it. And then all of a sudden, he sees this girl on a tricycle just start coming out down at the bottom of the hill, just driving along. And he's, he knows there's going to be a collision. But what he sees his son do is his son rocks back and forth on the, on the, the wagon and tumbles out of it and, and goes downhill a different way. And, and so he runs outside with his wife and they pick up their, his boy and, and, and wiping the blood off his face. And, and the son looks up to his daddy and, daddy and says, the boy goes down so the girl can go free. Right, daddy? Like that's, that's, what, that's what I did, right? And so the boy put himself in harm's way, in a different sort of harm's way to save the girl. No one would hear that story and say, no, 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 he should have hit the girl. They should have shared equally the brunt of that fall. 
They know that it was a good and righteous thing that boy would go a different direction to try and save the girl. And we know this is right. Like the boy goes down, so the girl goes free. I teach this to my son. Um, and, and why does this matter? It matters because it's important for us to know that men and women are different. It's important for us to know. And so a couple of quick things before we jump into today. I want to talk to the women here today because you might think, oh, he's going to talk about biblical manhood. It has nothing to do with me. And I need all the women here today to listen and to hear because here's the thing. We talked about it last week, but the idea that men were created in the, in the image of God, the Imago Dei, should raise your expectations of men. It should raise your expectations of men. And today, I want to give you what those expectations are. Today, we're going to talk about what, are, what should women expect from men. And so you need to hear because I don't want to offend anyone, but everyone in here, every woman in here is affected by a man. A man. Either you, you're married to one, or you, you don't have one, but you want one, or you currently have one and you don't want them, or um, I mean, everyone, you, 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 whether it's a father or son, a husband, like everyone's affected by men. And so this is absolutely for you because you'd have to raise your expectations or you have to raise the bar for men. Because here's the thing is right now our culture has a super low bar for men. Uh, Adam told me he wanted to start telling dad jokes. And I was like, that's perfect because that sets a really low bar for my jokes during my sermon. So I absolutely want you to tell dad jokes. But we do that with men too. We set these super low these super low expectations. And you know what? If you set super low expectations, you're going to find a guy who meets those. It's going to be super easy. But if you raise those expectations of what a man should be, what God has designed a man to be, I believe by the grace of God that by and large, men will raise up to that. They will, they will run off. If, if you tell your man like this is what, if you act like this is what I expect, they will run off to maturation school. They will figure it out and they will raise up to that. By God's grace. Some men won't, and those aren't the men for you. Some of us already, some of you already have men, and you still need to ex- expect this from them. And this last thing I want to say to women is as we go through and biblically lay out what men are to be, I need you to make a deal with yourself that on the way home today, you will not try and play the role of the Holy Spirit. You will not go home and say, Did you hear what he said? Like, this is what you need to be doing, this is the way you need to act. Didn't you, I, I don't ever want you to say that because what you'll do is you'll single-handedly destroy everything I'm trying to build here with the men. If you play that role of, hey, this is how you're supposed to act. Why aren't you doing the things he says you're supposed to be doing? If you try and play the role of the Holy Spirit, you will ruin everything we're building up here for men. And so please just, just if, if, I, if I go through, this is what a man should be, and you're like, that's not my man, just, just, just pray, pray, pray a lot. But don't try and say, you need to act like this. You need to act like this. You, you will just take apart everything we're wanting to do here. All right. So we have a lot to do in a short amount of time. And that was just the recap. So um, what I want to do today is I want to talk a little bit about what uh, I want to redeem a word. Um, so Adam used the word lead. And I've always historically used the word lead. Uh, but I want to I try and get away from the word men as leaders. Because I know some women who are really good leaders. And I want to talk about the word headship. Um, biblical headship. And, and before any women are offended or freak out, uh, let's talk a little bit about what head means. It's in the Bible. Headship means the Bible. Ephesians 5 talks about how um, the man is the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church. But if we look at the word headship or head in the Greek, which I know everyone's excited to do, it is uh, ke- kephale. 
And, and all kephale in the Greek means is it means where the brain is. And that might sound more offensive. So let, let's break it down even more. Um, here's why that's important, because the brain does not hate the body. The brain doesn't hold the body in contempt. The brain loves the body. And what the brain does is it, it, it makes decisions and orders the body in such a way to make sure the body grows. It ensures the vitality of the body and the good of the body. It receives signals from the body and makes decisions for the body's vitality. So I want to give a definition of what male headship is. I totally ripped it out of a book called Discovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, written by John Piper and uh, Wayne Grudem. But I want this to be our definition of male headship. So when we talk about headship here at the Grove, this is what I mean. Headship is the unique leadership of the man in the work of establishing order for human flourishing. The unique leadership of the man in the work of establishing order for human flourishing. The job of the man is to use his unique leadership to establish order for human flourishing. And when a man does that, the world around him, his family, the community, society flourishes. And, and, and everyone knows this. Like, it doesn't take a Christian to know this. There's been studies done where, where men punt on their responsibilities to be a husband and a father, society begins to crumble. And that's why we have such, uh, so many issues in urban cities where there's a lot of, of, of people, but no men as husbands and no men as wives. Um, sorry, not wives. No men as husbands and no men as fathers. It, it's, and society crumbles and you end up with these uh, broken neighborhoods and these broken places. We don't have to go far to, to, to look at, in our own country, places like Detroit and Chicago, where just, just men have, have, have left their responsibilities, and, and we're left with these broken cities. And it doesn't take a Christian to know that. Sociological um, studies have been done. Government studies have been done. Like, these things exist, and all they're doing is proving that the Bible is right. And so we'll look at Genesis chapter 2 to, to kind of show, and it'll be up here for you. We'll start in verse 5, but to show that this is the job of the man. Genesis Two, starting in verse five. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and where it divided it became four rivers. The name of the first river is, is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havala. Where, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 15 is huge. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So the task given to man, Eden's not here yet. There's no woman yet on the scene. 
the task given to the first man was to work it and to keep it. He was placed by God to work and keep Eden. If we could kind of flesh this out and draw this out, what God created the earth, and there, was, there, there wasn't any really like plants or, or anything nice in the earth. It was just kind of this, this vast, empty canvas. And then God created man. And then God created a garden in the east named Garden of Eden. And, and he made this garden beautiful. And he, he brought up trees and rivers and, um, and bushes and animals, like all these things in this Garden of Eden. And he made man and put him there. And he's like, I want you to go make the rest of the earth look like this. I've created this garden. I want you to go, I want you to work this garden and keep it and make the, make the whole rest of the earth look like what I've given you here. And, 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 and this is before Eve and, and this is before sin. And so the, the, the thing that's important here is before sin ever entered the world, men were meant to work. I don't mean have a job, but they were meant to work. They were meant to, to do. They were meant to, to be busy. They were designed to work. And this is why Lazy men are so dangerous to the world and so dangerous to themselves and so dangerous to their family. Men were not meant to be lazy. You haven't been designed to be lazy. You haven't been designed to master video games or fantasy football, but you've been designed to cultivate, to build, to raise up. That's what we've been designed to do. Spurgeon uh, is one of my favorite authors and, and preachers. He would say it like this. It's a great quote. The last sentence of this quote is incredible. But this is how Spurgeon would say it. Some occupation is necessary to happiness. Lazy people would not enjoy even Eden itself. A perfect man is a working man. A perfect man is a working man. I'm not talking about jobs or even like a, a formal occupation. But I'm just talking about you're not made to just sit around and watch endless sports center over and over and over again. We're made to work and, and to do things and to cultivate and to build. And we'll talk about how we do that in a minute. But headship plays out in that cultivating, that building, that working and keeping it. It plays out in your family, it plays out in the church, and it plays out in our culture at large. So first thing we're going to talk about is how it plays out at home in our family. And then we'll talk about single men later, but we'll talk specifically to men with families. If you have your Bibles and you're in Genesis, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 25. It'll also be up here. But this is a passage of Scripture that talks specifically to men about how they are to live in homes with their families. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we're talking about the home. Headship is exercised primarily in two ways. And the first way is sacrificial love towards your wife, towards his wife sacrificial love, to love your wife like Christ loved the church. How is that? How did Christ love the church? He gave his life up for her. 
So one of the ways man exercises his headship, his unique leadership responsibility and orders for the good of his family is via sacrificial love. He does not dominate her or demean her. He lives in such a way that's willing to sacrifice, willing to lay down his own life, willing to not get as much sleep as her, willing to get up early to do what needs to be done so that she will flourish, so that she will be sanctified, so that she will be presented to Christ spotless and blameless and without spot or wrinkle. Willing to not rest in his own comfort, but willing to get up and get off the couch and to help. Sacrificial love. The second thing we see here is that men not only have the charge for sacrificial love, but he also has a charge for spiritual direction. The man the husband will set the spiritual climate of his home. So when it comes to children, children tend to follow daddy. And where daddy has created a climate of sitting around and watching TV and and not really doing anything with his family, that's where children will follow. Where men have set the example and have set um, the climate where, where we have conversations around dinner or around bedtime about the goodness of God, where we have conversations about uh, forgiveness and where daddy is willing to even uh, pray with his kids and to humble himself and ask for forgiveness from his kids, where daddy sets the spiritual climate in such a way that the air they're breathing is the goodness and the glory of God, that home will flourish and that responsibility falls on the man. If Jesus comes to my house and knocks on the door and Margie answers, he's, he, he'll, he'll love her, but he'll ask, where's Zach? He's not gonna ask Margie about how the kids are doing or about how the kids, how much the, did the kids love me? Have you told the kids about me? He's gonna ask, where's Zach? And he's gonna ask me, what have you told your kids about me? What, what kind of example have you set to your kids regarding me, regarding the church, regarding faith? He's, it's going to fall on the man. Now, I wanna say something real quick about this. Um, when it comes to this, there is clear evidence throughout all of Scripture that God loves uh, moms, He loves widows, and He has this special place in His heart for struggling moms and widows. And so maybe you're here today, and, and again, don't nudge Him or look at Him, and you're sitting here and, and you just don't know if your husband is like that or could do that or would, or would be willing to step into that. Um, the one thing I'd say, I said it last week, is, is, is where, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. And God will meet faithful, loving moms where they are and help raise kids and help set that spiritual climate where the husband won't. But the primary responsibility for a husband who's here today, I want to say that falls on you. It falls on you. Sacrificial love, spiritual direction. The responsibility of the spiritual climate of our home doesn't fall on me, of your home doesn't fall on me. It doesn't fall on anyone who does seedlings, but it falls on the man of the house. That being said, we specifically here at the Grove resource help for you. So right now, if you were to go pick up your kids from seedlings, there's like 10 books just sitting on the, sh- on the shelf over here. And I would encourage every dad here to take, or every mom who, who, uh, who's here, to, to take one of those books home and to look it over. Maybe just start reading it with your kids. Maybe start checking it out because we want to help you set that spiritual climate in your home because it's not easy. We'll talk about why it's not easy a little bit later, but it's not easy. 
We want to help you set that spiritual climate in your home. And so we've, we've bought uh, all these books for you to take home and look at. Uh, we ask that you bring them back so other people can take them home too. But I know sometimes like that, that moment of like, I don't know if I really want to buy this book. I've never seen it before. Um, buying blind things off Amazon could be scary. Going to the bookstore and finding these books could be hard. But these are books that, that, that I love and trust. I use with my kids for the most part. Uh, and my kids have gone through it, and I love these books. And so I would just encourage you to take one home and read it with your kids. Maybe well, I'll tell you what we do. What I do is uh, every night, and I, I say every night, every night I try to, probably like at least three, probably average five nights a week, uh, the kids eat dinner, they take a bath, or they do something, brush their teeth. We get on the couch. Margie comes with me. We get on the couch, and then we just cuddle, and I read a story. Uh, right now I'm reading out of... Uh, um, the Jesus, um, it's all about Jesus uh, story Bible. And it's actually made by the people of the Gospel Project, the curriculum we use. So it, it really fits well into what we're doing here at Seedlings. And we just read a story out of it. I just read a story. Uh, it's got questions to ask your kids. It connects those stories to Christ. Like it's super simple to use and to read. Um, and then at the end, we just pray together. And then I, I as, as daddy, take the kids upstairs. I put them to bed. I kiss them goodnight. Uh, I talk to him a little bit. I t- mostly talk more to Elian than I do Salome, uh, just because she really doesn't have much to say back, except that she wants like two babies in her, in her, in her bed at the same time. Um, but I talk to him and, and, I, and, I, and I love on them at night. So that's what we do. You can, it can look different. You can do it around the dinner table. You can do whatever, whatever you need to do to help set the spiritual climate of your home. Do it. But we want to help you. We want to resource you. So we have those books there for you. It's not easy to do. It's not easy. Um, and there's a reason for that. There's many, and I don't want you to look up here and be like, oh, of course, Pastor Zach, he does this stuff. He's a pastor. Of course, he leads his family like that. And, and, and I want to just say a, a lack of confidence and your ability to do it doesn't negate your responsibility. Like, you can do it. It's going to be hard. There's days where I don't want to do it. There's days where I don't want to take the kids to bed. I am tired and exhausted. I want to sit on the couch. Like, don't I deserve some screen time and just sit there by myself? There's days where it's like that. And, and, and I think there's a reason why this stuff wars against us. We want to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So we've, we've looked at Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. Now we're in Genesis chapter 3. This is going to be after Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the knowledge of good and evil. And God said that, you know, if you eat that, you will surely die. So they ate this. God curses the serpent, and, and, and then he curses the man. And he says something really interesting in how God curses man. And I want you to see it. So let's go to verse 17, chapter 3. And it says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are the dust, and to dust you shall return." This is going to be heavy, but I, want, I just want to warn you out of the gate. God, when God curses man for his sin, not only does he curse his man, he curses the work in which he gave man to do. So this is going to be hard. You ever wonder, like, if you, if you try and go pray with your family, you ever wonder why that's hard? Why that, that seems just a war against you? Like, when you do, when we do devotion sometimes, especially when we first started, Man, we, I'd set out, like, I, I, brought this, I bought this brand new book. It's beautiful. We're going to read through this. And, like, two minutes in, I'm having to, like, spank the kids and 
tell Margie to get off her phone. Like it's, it just seems, I'm just kidding. Margie doesn't do that. But um, she, it, it just seems to war against you. These, these things that I'm asking you to do, these things the Bible's commanding you to do, just wars against you. There's a reason for that. God cursed it and said that it would war against you. By sweat, you'll do this work I've given you. The sweat of your brow. This is going to be hard. If you ever try to talk to your children, if you haven't yet, or your children's too young, you will. If you ever try to talk to your children about spiritual things and they're just like, nah, I want to watch Ninja Turtles. Nah, I just want to go look at the train. Like, this thing just seems to war against you. Why would God make it that way? Why would God do that? Don't you think, like, if God said, here's how I want you to, to treat marriage, here's how I want you to treat your kids, um, that if you started doing those things, he would just make it easy, make it all work out for you. Okay, if you do X, Y, and Z, you get this. If you do A, B, C, you get D. Wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't that be better for us? And I've, I've asked this question often, like, why do things have to be so hard? Like, why does trying to love my wife have to be so hard? Because I could dole out all the affection and romance that I know how to give. I can Google how to have a romantic date and I could like do everything that's on Google and there's times where Margie just doesn't seem to care. It doesn't, I mean, it's just, it's not given back to me. I think every guy can have that. This isn't something about Margie, but I think every guy has it. You try so hard and it's just like, no, that's not what I want. It's like, well, this is what you wanted last week. Like, what the, what's going on? He's like, oh, I just don't want it. Like, there's this war, and there's a reason for that. And the reason why that exists is because I have never been more in tune to the gospel and the love of God than when I've tried to love my wife the way I think, the way that she's even told me she wants to be loved, and it's not received over and over again. I understand God's patience and God's, maybe I don't exercise the patience, but I start to understand it. I'll do one better, like with kids. So, so last night, Elian's climbing back here uh, at that window. We're on the like second story and like there's these bars, he's climbing. Like I'm scared that he's gonna fall out. And so I tell him to get down and, 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 and this happens all the time with my kids is that I will tell my kids to stop doing something and the reason why I tell them to stop doing something is because I know more than they do. And I know that climbing over the window might seem fun. It might seem like it's bringing you joy, but ultimately it could end all your joy and rob you of all joy. So I know I want the best for my kids. And so I'll tell Elian to stop climbing on the back of the couch because I don't want you to fall out the window and cut yourself. But he, what does he think? He thinks I'm robbing him of joy. He thinks I'm taking something from him that he is enjoying and he wants. And so then he says, no, I want, I want to climb the window. And then as I enter in and I have to discipline and, and show alien boundaries because he's asking for them, sometimes I start to realize like, man, like I'm a five-year-old little boy sometimes. Sometimes God gives me boundaries and, and he knows more. He, he has joy bef you know, set before me. But I say, no, I want my stuff. I want, I want this joy that I have. And I'm reminded that, man, like I'm a five-year-old little boy or I'm a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl sometimes and, and when it comes to listening to God and to obedience and, and understanding that he knows more than I. He created the universe. His way will bring me way more joy than anything that I have. But I don't listen. I want my stuff. And so this idea that it, that it wars against me is actually God's grace and God's mercy to show me his love, to show me his patience, to show me the depths of his love of Christ for me. 
It's a good thing. I understand the depth of God's love, the depth of his grace, the depth of the forgiveness in those hard moments. And men aren't shy from this in any other areas of our life. Like men love, you love war. Like we watch movies about war all the time. We we love Braveheart, we like Gladiator, we like Saving Private Ryan. Like we like these things. We were created for it. We like video games that play out war. We like things, it doesn't have to be war, just things that are bigger than ourselves. We like fantasy football, we like watching football. Like we like these things where people go to battle and they try and win, they try and beat someone else, right? We love those things. We were created for it. We were created to work, we were created to go to war against the things of this world. And we were created for that, but oftentimes we don't enter in. We settle for lesser wars and for dumb wars and stupid wars. We were created to fight for our kids. We were created to fight for our our marriage. We were created to fight for goodness and holiness. And this is how how I'm trying to train my my son, my little five-year-old Eliam. This is how I want to train him. When I see him do something, something good, something that a man should do, I try and get down and be like, hey, buddy, that's that, that you shared with your sister. That's what a man would do. I try and give him, give him some knucks, and I'm like, good job, buddy. But then like, I'll see him hit Salome, or Salome will come to me crying, saying um, that Eliam hit him. And uh, Eliam is a lot of things, but he's like the most honest child I've ever met in my entire life. Like, he'll be like, yeah, I hit her, but she hit me first. And I'm like, buddy, I don't care if she hit you first. You never hit a girl. Like boys hit girls. Men don't hit girls. You will never hit your sister. Like you're, you're a boy. You might say like, yeah, he is a boy, but like I'm, my job is to train the boy out of him. Not his um, innocence or his like Peter Pan having fun kind of thing, but to train the boy out of him as much as this in, in, um, immature, you know, you can't shove girls, dude. Like you just, men should not shove girls. And he says, that's not fair. And it's like, I know that's not fair. Men weren't created for fair. Men don't want fair. Men want the battle. Men want the war. You were not designed to live a fair life. Men, you were designed to enter in into war for the glory of God, for the soul of your wife, for the development of your children, for the glory of Christ in the world. Like you were made to enter into this. We don't want fair. We want the fight. Our masculinity, our manhood comes out in the fight. It doesn't come out in peacetime. It doesn't come out in sitting on the couch. It doesn't come out in those things. It comes out in the fight. And that's why lazy men are so destructive to human flourishing because they don't, they don't want the fight. They want fair. Life's not fair. They want fair. They want, I worked all day. I deserve, it's fair for me to come home and sit around. Men should not want that. We want the fight. We want our lives to matter. We want to lay it all down. We love watching Saving Private Ryan and the the men running up the beach and getting shot and dying. We want to run up the beach right with them because we're men, because we were designed for that. Men, you've, you've been called to this and anything less than this is outside of God's design and purpose for your life. So maybe you're here today and and you just think, man, you've screwed up so badly that I've not been the head of my house at all. I've been just letting things go in my house. I've been letting things happen in my house. I am not, I've just been going through life with no plan, no purpose, no fight in me. Just been going through life and I've screwed up so badly and I don't know what to do. There's a couple things you can do 
I want to say, there's a couple things you can do. The first thing is just to be honest with your wife. Maybe, you, maybe on the, your ride home today, you have to have an honest conversation with your wife and be like, hey, like, I, I know I haven't been doing these things. I don't know how to do these things. I want to figure it out, but I'm, I just want to ask you to forgive me for not doing these things. Maybe you need to go home and apologize to your children and say, like, you know what? I have not been the dad I've, I, I should be, and I am sorry, and I will figure it out. But would you, would you forgive me right now? Just, would you for, I know Jesus is going to forgive me, but, but would you forgive me? Just be honest. And I think the, the, the great thing about this fight, the great thing about this war that men were created for is that God's glory is shown so much if you're just honest about your failures that you start to win the war, not by just your successes alone, but you begin to win the war when you're honest about your failures and your losses. And you lean into those. And you lean into the gospel of Christ and you say, look, buddy, like, I'm, like, Eli, like Eliam, I'm sorry, buddy. Daddy snapped earlier. That wasn't me. I have a lot of things going on at work and I'm, I'm sorry. Would you, would you just forgive me for snapping at you like that? Go to Margie, babe, like I, I, I reacted instead of responding to you earlier today. Would you just forgive me for the way I acted there? That's not me. That's not, that's not my heart. I just stressed out and acted in a way that was sinful. I know Jesus will forgive me, but would you, would you forgive me? And just be honest about your failures. Be honest about where you are. In fact, I love this because God has so brilliantly designed the pursuit of him that when we choose the couch, when we choose comfort, and we realize we did it, and we admit it, and we seek forgiveness, and dads are honest, and husbands are honest about where they fell short, his glory is seen. Ephesians chapter five, I don't have it up here, and I'm sorry, but Ephesians chapter five, verses 13 and 14 says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's a verse we need. Which is to be honest, to shine the light on where we've fallen short as men, to be honest about where we are as men, to shine the light, and Christ will shine on us. Maybe you're here today, you're a man, you don't even know what to do. Like when I say things like cultivate, build, pursue your wife, like I'm speaking another language to you. You're like, man, like last night, I took my clothes off and I put them in the dirty clothes hamper. That's pursuing my wife. Like that's what she says she wants. That's what I do. Maybe that's you and you don't know how to really pursue your wife because there's, there's way more to it than just making sure you put your dirty clothes in dirty hamper. There's way more to it than just making sure you put a coaster under your coffee cup. There's a couple of things you can do. I think the, the first thing you can do is just find a man who does know and ask. Just ask, hey, like, how do I pursue? You find someone who's been doing it well for years and say, how do I do this? How do I pursue my wife? How do I cultivate in my home? How do I raise my children in a godly way? How do I raise my children to be disciples? The second thing you can do, and this is gonna sound crazy to you, is to have a conversation with your wife. To ask, to ask her. And women, be, be, be gracious, but here's what I mean when I say that, is just ask them, hey, what, what kind of things could I be doing around home to help you more? What kind of things could I do to help with the children more? What kind of things should I be doing um, to really help you grow in your walk with Christ? Like, what, what questions can I ask you at the end of the day, at the end of the week, just to, to check on your heart and to help you and to be with you? Like, what, is, there kind of, is there like a book you want to read together? Is there something like, what can we do together to help you? 
What can we do together to help our marriage? Like just ask, have a conversation. Being the head, being the brain or where the brain is doesn't mean having all the answers. It means making sure you're receiving the signals and making the right, right choices for the good and order and vitality of the body. It means having conversations and checking in on the different parts of the body and making sure you understand what's going on, you understand the temperature, and you, and you, so you have conversations with your wife. Have conversations. Ask your wife for help. Where men will fill this gap, we will, we will flourish. But brothers, when, when, you, when you punt on your responsibilities and you act as boys, everything around you will begin to crumble. Because right now you know what's asked of you. And if you run from that, if you become passive in that, and you're like Adam in the Garden of Eden just watching your wife be tricked by the serpent, things will crumble. But where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. God loves moms. He loves children. We could do a whole series on how much God loves women uh, in the Bible. I think it's bad. We'll talk about it next week, but how the Bible gets like a bad rap for not loving women because the Bible is very gracious to, to women, very loving to women. But if, if a man's not doing, overall, overarching, if a man's not doing what God has called him to do, things will crumble. But in that same sense, God is good and gracious and he will intervene and love on a mom, a single mom, a widow, or a mom with a struggling marriage to love her and to help her raise her kids and to help her set the spiritual climate. But if you're a man here today, it is your responsibility. It is your responsibility. And it's gonna be the hardest thing you do. And you will go to bed tired every night and God will give you grace in the morning because you're going to need Christ. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. And the good news about all this, and I'll close with this, the good news about all this well, I'll close with these last two things. The good news about all this is that God, through the gospel, if you're a Christian here today, has declared you innocent. He says, you're guilty, but I see you as innocent. Like, I don't hold your wrongs against you. I've given them to Christ on the cross, and I see you as innocent. The good news about that is that frees you up to love your wife. That frees you up to pursue your kids and to slap your kids. The reason why that frees you up is because you don't have to be afraid of making mistakes. I think so many times men don't act, they don't do these things because they're afraid of doing the wrong thing. But the fact that when you do the wrong thing, God sees you as innocent anyway, that should free you up just to run after this. Just to go after. Like you don't have to be afraid to tell your wife you're sorry. You don't have to be afraid to ask your kids for forgiveness. Like you, God sees you as innocent. You can pursue this with everything you have. You don't have to be afraid. You can run after this. You can join the fight. You can join the war. You're free to pursue manhood without worrying about screwing it up. Because when you do, and not if, but when you do, you can lean into it and show the glory of Jesus and the gospel that much more. I want to close just talking to single men real quick. Um, single men, you have the same role in the sense that you image headship to the world around you. You don't have, you're not ahead of any woman if you're single, if you're not married, you're not ahead of any woman, but you image headship to those around you, which means you treat your sisters in Christ as sisters. You love them, you protect them, you will go down so that she can go free. You treat them with respect and you image to them what they should expect from a man. And the second thing single men should do is to pursue godly relationships with women. 
to pursue godly relationships with women. There's this, there's this idea in our culture, and I might get in trouble for this, but there's this idea in our culture that men passively sit around like, I'm just waiting for the Lord to bring me a woman. I'm just waiting for the Lord to bring me a girl. You don't wait for the Lord to bring you dinner. Like you go and you get it. You go to the fridge, you pull out the meats, you make a sandwich and you eat dinner. But the Bible is clear. He who finds a good wife or finds a wife finds what is good. Not, not he who has a wife brought to him finds what is good, but he who finds a wife. You're searching. Now, I'm not saying you need to like dress in camouflage and go to Bed Bath & Beyond and start like hunting women. I'm just saying that you should be making friends with other godly women in the hopes that maybe someday this will, this will turn into more and pursue marriage someday. You make friends. You pursue women. You don't sit around and just wait for the Lord to like throw someone at you. Because I don't know if that's going to happen. You've got to go out. You've got to get out of the house. You've got to get out from behind the TV and go make relationships, make friends, and pursue godly women. That was a lot. Um, we're going to go ahead and close here. I want to sing a couple songs together. And I just want us to remember um, God's goodness and his grace. And so we're, we, as all the men in here, where we fall short, God covers that. Um, but that should free us up not to be passive and to sit back and think, oh, well, it's not a big deal because God will cover that. But that should free us up to run after it all the more. Um, and and, and where, uh, where we need to apologize today, where we need to seek forgiveness from our, our families, we ought to do that. So we'll sing a couple songs and I'll come back up here and pray. I'll pray for us. Father, I just, uh, just come before you, Lord, thankful uh, for everyone here this morning, God. I just want to lift up the men here, God, that you would uh, continue to work in their hearts so that you'd give the men here courage to be honest with their uh, wives, with their children, Lord, about where they are and where they've fallen short if they need to, um, and to lean into that and to seek forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that it would be found that the women here and the the children here would be gracious in their uh, giving of forgiveness, God, that you would just give us courage as men to enter into the fright, the fight, into the fray, into the battle, Lord, that we would um, enter in and, and be all that you've called us to be, Lord. We wouldn't uh, be passive or lazy, but we'd enter in and, and, and work hard for the good of our uh, wives, for the good of our children, Lord, for the good of our community, for the good for our uh, employer, for the good of our church, God, for the good of everyone around us, that we would work hard and press into the battle and trust that you would give us rest, trust that you would give us joy um, in that, God. Lord, I pray for the women here, Lord, that they would be gracious with their husbands, that they'd be gracious with their families, God, that they would love and uh, press into and pray continually pray for us as men, God. I pray for the single men here, Lord, that you would encourage them to image headship, Lord, to protect uh, their sisters, Lord, to pursue women, godly women, uh, in, in godly relationships, God. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for all that you do here. I pray that you would bless everyone here today as they go into the rest of their Sunday and the rest of their week, that you would go before them and prepare the way for them, God, that they may walk in good works and walk in just making much of your name uh, in their houses and their workplaces, Lord. So just bless them and keep them, God. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.